Good afternoon and welcome to the Legal Eagle Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. I'm an attorney here in Lakeland. To call into the show today, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. My office is conveniently located at 904 South Missouri Avenue here in Lakeland. That's directly behind the old Southside Dry Cleaners that's easy to find right on South Florida Avenue. My parking lot literally butts up to the back of their building, so I am directly behind them. Uh, today, I thought we would start off the new year with uh, something a little lighter than maybe has been done in the past and talk about what I call some of the humorous courtroom stories of my past. Uh, and now that I've been doing this for about 36 years, uh, 33 years as a defense attorney and three years as a prosecutor before that, I've got a few stories from over the years, and, and when I started doing this to prepare for the show, I realized I had enough for probably just the prosecution years to do that as the first episode of this, and then I'll do a, another episode later in the year dealing with some of the defense stories, uh, but at least initially I just want to talk about some of the stuff that happened back when I was a prosecutor uh, that would have been from like late 1986 until October of 1989. And a lot of people go, oh, my God. And I go, yeah, I'm starting to get really old. Um, but I graduated from law school when I was 23, took the Florida bar when I was 23, and got the bar results shortly after I had turned 24 years of age. Well, assuming you've passed your background check, and I'd already passed all the background checks through the Florida bar, and that is not an easy process, folks. That, that goes way beyond most background checks. They interview your neighbors and stuff like that, or at least they used to. I don't know if they still do or not, but they, they wanted to make sure we were of character to really be attorneys. Um, but, you know, I'd already gone through all of that, so once I got my bar results, I was able to be sworn in the same day. But even before getting my actual licensure, I was able to appear in a courtroom. In fact, even before I had graduated law school, we were able to appear in a courtroom and act as lawyers in what was called a, a legal trainee or internship status, which gave us the ability to appear as, quote, real lawyers, end quote, even though we weren't. Uh, it was a, a process that you go through. Uh, through your internship program, through your law school, where the Florida Supreme Court authorizes you to be able to anticipatorily practice law as long as you are under supervision. Of course, back then, the guidelines for supervision were a lot looser, potentially, than they are today. Um, they, they really didn't have a lot of definition as to what they called supervision. So at least initially we were all told, and this would have been the fall months of somewhere between September and December of 1986, that we were going to be assigned to a certain division. I happened to be in Judge Demers division. That's David Demers. He was a county judge in Pinellas County. And we were to work with another attorney that was licensed and start doing some of the courtroom processes. It was truly a training experience. That included doing what's called arraignments, pretrials. We could even do a jury trial. We just couldn't do it by ourselves. We had to have an attorney handling it with us uh, in order to satisfy 
what our office requirements were for supervision. But I was still in law school, and I was assigned to a particular attorney, and it turns out that particular attorney was not terribly well-liked by the judge that we were assigned to. I say that. I can't say that there was anything in particular that would draw attention to that other than we were at arraignments one day, and arraignments are where you're basically telling somebody what they're charged with, asking them if they have an attorney and how they plead to the charge. If they're going to plead guilty or no contest, we proceed forward with the sentencing. If they plead not guilty, we set it over for a pretrial date so they can either get an attorney or they'll have a public defender appointed. But anyway, that's the purpose of an arraignment. And if, if they plead guilty or no contest, they we're dealing with an offer at that point as to what they're being offered in a, a means of trying to get the case resolved. Well, I usually would go through and research the cases before we would go to arraignments and have offers written down. So it would be a very easy process to be able to try to get through the docket. The attorney I was doing it with was not necessarily of the same vein. She didn't always do that. And so a lot of times it would be cumbersome going through arraignments when she was there. We were at arraignments one day, somewhat of a, a heavy docket, but not terribly heavy. And Judge Demers was basically, finally got frustrated enough. He looked up and told the uh, prosecutor that was assigned to me, you need to go back to your office and go get some other work done. Me and Mr. Dodds will finish the docket. And, oh, we have a caller. Go ahead, caller. Um, hi. Um, I don't know if I need to turn my radio down or not. Um, I was calling um, in regards to Social Security or early retirement. Okay. Um, I'm 55 years old, and I'm mainly due to mainly health issues and things, although I don't have a disability. Um, I would like to see if I could do early retirement, but I was concerned about some, med uh, some medical and some other um, debts that I owe. Um, financially not really secure to really pay any of them, and some of them are just so old, like 20 years old and plus. And I was wondering, if I did get early retirement, could I be sued for those things? Okay. Um, that is an area of law that I, I don't even touch myself, but I do have people I can send you to. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you real quick at least two different firms you can contact that will probably be able to give you some advice uh, that's better than I can give you concerning that because they're going to need to ask you some additional questions, Okay. Uh, especially on those medical bills. Something that's 20 years old, you may not have to pay at all because it may be out of date at this point. But I would prefer But that to, one is not, that one is like three or four years old. But at the time when I came here, I uh, was still, I was having health problems. And then they, okay. I didn't get medical coverage until after that. But they want to still charge me for it because they still keep calling me about it. Well, and, and that may be something that you'll have to deal with. But again, it's really way outside my my area of expertise. So I'm going okay. to refer you to either Jim Headley, and I, I don't have the phone numbers for these attorneys right off the top of my head, but at least either Jim Headley or uh, Melody Lopez and uh, Kevin Humphreys. Lopez and Humphreys worked together. Jim and his brother Scott worked together at their office. So either one of those will probably be able to give you a lot better advice in those areas because they handle those kinds of things. I would be simply so far out of my wheelhouse, I, I would be afraid to give you advice on it. And I, di I didn't catch the, the female uh, attorney. Melody Lopez. Lopez. Um, yeah. are, are any of these um, attorneys in Lakeland? All of them are in Lakeland. 
in Lakeland. Yeah, okay. In fact, all of their offices are either on South Florida Avenue or one like one block off of South Florida Avenue. All right. Well, thank you so much. Oh, no problem. And thank you for calling in, and I appreciate you listening in. Thank you, sir. No problem. Going back uh, to that original story that I was talking about, so anyway, the judge sent her back to her office because he was getting frustrated with not being able to get the docket done. And I looked at him and I said, Judge, I'm supposed to have somebody supervising me doing this docket. He said, Tony, you're doing just fine. Let's get this thing done. And I said, yeah, but. And he goes, no, there's no buts to it. There's an attorney next door that's in your office that's licensed. We're going to call that supervision today. You're good enough. Let's get this done. That's the days of old when things were done differently, though, folks. And again, having a supervisor present, there was a lot of loose definitions of what that meant. So I would handle a lot of the docket after that without anybody else even being there. So when I went to apply for a job with them in December, I didn't. I had two questions that were asked of me during the job interview, and then I was given the job. One, can you live off of what we're going to pay you? And you folks would choke on how little I got paid as a beginning prosecutor. I, I had police officers that had only been working for two or three years that were making twice what I was making as a prosecutor back then. Um, it was one of those entry-level positions to get your feet in the door. Secondarily, they wanted to know what my wife's position was with the St. Pete Times so that there would be no leaks out of our office to the Times concerning cases. Well, she was working the obituary desk at the time, so it was not an issue. Of course, shortly after I became a prosecutor with a paid position, she obviously changed into a regular reporter. But anyway, that is dealing with the arraignment. Funny story is Judge Demers was much more interested in having somebody that at least felt like they knew what they were doing in order to be able to move the docket. Um. Well, I think it's time for us to take a break today. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM, and we'll go into more of these after the break. Welcome back to The Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. I was trying to give us a little levity today and and talk about some of the more humorous things that occurred, at least particularly for this show, in my early portion of my career. Uh, The first one was dealing with the fact that I got along well enough with that judge that he decided to send the real attorney down the hallway and have her go back to her office so that we could get a docket done that day. And that made me feel really good, so much so that when I did get hired into the state attorney's office, they asked me what division I'd like to be assigned to, and I said I'd love to go to his division. And they thought I was nuts because very few people could actually get along with him. But I was familiar with him, and so much so that I ultimately ended up having him swear me in uh, when I got my bar results to become a real lawyer. Uh, there's a whole funny backstory to that that I really don't want to go into over the air about the fact that I had had a few drinks for lunch that day. But long and the short of it is that went okay, got sworn in, and he and I ended up staying in somewhat touch for several years after that, and my former law partner's son ended up doing an internship for that very same judge once he became a circuit judge. So those are the kind of connections that can have a lifelong impact on you. Um, And it, it also helps you to understand, even when you're 
supposed to be towing the line as a prosecutor, that there are two sides to a story. And Judge Demers was very good about getting even prosecutors to understand sometimes the other side's position on a case uh, before he would hand down a final ruling. Um, I, I handled several different cases in front of him that were weird, including a gambling case involving Tarpon Springs PD, where the officers hated each other worse than they actually hated the individual they did the arrest of. Uh, so bad so that, that when I was doing the hearing on the case, the officers would sit on opposite ends of a hallway. They didn't talk to each other. But yet they had been equal participants in the execution of a search warrant involving an illegal gambling operation at a coffee house. Um, it's just those weird little stories like that 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 you you reflect on 30-some years later and go, my God, look at what I've seen. But a few months later, after being in Judge Demers division, I think I was there until September. Uh, maybe it was just till June. I was probably there till June of that year, which would have been 1987. I was then called in and told that I was going to be assigned to St. Pete Traffic Court. That's St. Petersburg traffic court and they used to have a separate division within the state attorney's office uh, and it was one attorney in each one of these outlying jurisdictions kind of like in Polk County we have a Lakeland court and a Winter Haven court we used to have a, a Haines City and a Lake Wales but we've dissolved those at those at this point but basically they're satellite courts and as the attorney in St. Pete traffic, it wasn't just the St. Petersburg and St. Petersburg Beach PDs that I was dealing with. I also dealt with Treasure Island, Madeira Beach, Pinellas Park, Kenneth City, and yes, believe it or not, Kenneth City used to have a police department in Pinellas County. If for anybody that's ever been to Kenneth City, if you missed one or two traffic lights going down like 49th Street, you completely missed Kenneth City. That was it. But they actually did have one. I do not know if they still have one, but they did have one at one point in time. I would presume they've probably been merged into one of the other local police departments or into the sheriff's department at this point in time. But they did have their own. And I was assigned to handle all of the intake as it would relate to those uh uh, independent police departments concerning all of their criminal traffic cases, which would include driving on a suspended, uh, violations of driver's license restrictions. Every DUI that came out of those departments, and a lot of people go, okay, how many DUIs can come out of that? Folks, at the end of a nine-month period, which I stayed down there extra because I liked it and they liked me, I had handled 3,000 criminal traffic cases coming through there. Now, did I handle all of them to conclusion? No, because if we could not get it worked out at that local level, it would then get transferred to the main courthouse in Clearwater uh, for purposes of jury trials. But we handled non-jury trials, pre-trials, motions to suppress, arraignments, and, and all of the intake I would do on those cases through that St. Pete traffic courthouse. I was the only attorney down there. I had two judges, Judge Shingler and Judge Gruby. Both were very different individuals from each other uh, and from other judges I had been around. Judge Shingler tended to appreciate dirty jokes from time to time. In fact, that's how he introduced himself to me was a particular dirty joke. He had me come all the way to his office just to see how I would react to it. 
and when I reacted the way he had hoped to, he and I became instant friends. But the long and the short of it is we would occasionally go to lunch. Uh, I'd either go with one or both, and it's not because I was pandering to them or anything. We worked in the same location. Just because I, I worked with them didn't mean I couldn't socialize with them somewhat. We obviously had to be careful how far we would take that. I used to drive a 1968 Olds 442 convertible back then. That It wasn't in the best of shape, but it ran most of the time. And Judge Gruby was a car guy. Well, occasionally that 68 Olds 442 decided it didn't want to crank because the points would stick in it. I'd pop the hood, and he'd hit the uh, the distributor with a wrench, and all of a sudden it would start. Uh, that's the kind of relationship we had is he kind of thought it was cool, but at the same time, it, it was something he was doing me a huge favor on, so I didn't have to keep calling AAA out to help me. Well, anyway, one day Judge Shingler and I had gone to lunch. We came back, and Judge Shingler's like, Tony, I did, we got a big docket this afternoon, and I got to get out of here. I'm tired, and I don't want to deal with this. And I said, well, what is your suggestion? He says, hang loose for a minute. Well, I already had my files waiting there in the hallway to come into the courtroom, along with my calendar, which is the docket for the afternoon. He said, we're going to make sure this thing goes short today. And I said, how are we going to do that? And he says, you're going to walk in with me instead of going through a different door. I said, okay. So I started to go in. He throws his arm around me as we're walking into the courtroom. Uh, this is something that you might see in My Cousin Vinny or something like that of, of how it's just, or maybe night court would be a more appropriate version of something like that. I don't know if any of you remember what night court looked like. Well, that was real court back then. I mean, they made a comedy show out of it, but that's kind of how a lot of the stuff actually worked. So Shingler throws his arm around me. We walk into the court together. I go over to the prosecution table. He announces who I am to everybody. All of a sudden, we had that docket finished in less than 30 minutes. People were either doing a real quick plea or they were asking to continue the case to go hire a lawyer because they were figuring they were getting hometown quick one way or the other. And it, it a lot of people go, well, that's inappropriate. Okay, it wasn't during that time frame. Today, would we do something like that? Probably not. Uh, would anybody be even comfortable doing something like that? Probably not. But the long and the short of it is it was a different time frame I still, from time to time, will have breakfast or lunch with a judge. It doesn't mean that they can't hear my cases. Uh, it's just that we happen to know each other for a long time. Some of them I've known from way before they ever became judges. Just because they put on a robe doesn't mean that all of a sudden that we can't still continue to be somewhat friendly. Um, and, and so, I, you know, I it's one of those things that Yes, we have to be careful about the perceptions. We cannot give perceptions that anybody has favoritism with anybody. But at the same time, we're still human beings, and we're allowed to have interactions and, and, and relationships uh, when we're not in our normal positions as attorney and judge. So that was one of those things. Now, not everything was always rosy for me during my career as a prosecutor. My first two jury trials, I lost um, they were the same week, and they were DUIs, and they were in front of the same judge and the same defense attorney. I learned real quick how to try a case. And it, I'll go into more of the rest of this story after the break. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 and 1430 AM, and I look forward to going into more of that one after the break.
Welcome back to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me in my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. Just continuing on with some of the humorous early years uh, courtroom stories that uh, at least I thought was kind of humorous. Some people may think they're not. I really don't care. It's my show. Um, but the long and the short of it is, is that not everything was always rosy back in the day. I lost my first two jury trials, got my brains absolutely beat out by an attorney that knew what he was doing. And I learned a lot from that. Uh, I think I learned enough that I won my next 18 in a row without losing. Uh, and then I, you know, after that, you, you'd win one or, and then lose one or win five and lose one. I always had a pretty high win rate, though, but... You're supposed to have a pretty high win rate when you're a prosecutor. That's the name of the game. You kind of control what gets filed, and you get to control what gets set for trial a lot of times. So you should win more cases than you lose. But anyway, I was sent to Newport Ritchie, and and so that people understand, that whole area over there is part of the same circuit. Clearwater's the home office. Uh, It's the center county seat of Pinellas. But Pinellas and Pasco are of the same circuit, which means the same state attorney's office deals with all of the cases all the way from St. Pete Traffic Court up through North County Traffic Court. Um, And then there was Clearwater Court. There was Clearwater Traffic Court. And then you go on up into Newport Ritchie and then all the way over in Dade City had an office as well. I used to love going over to Dade City. It was just a real homey office. It was a lot of fun to go over there. Uh, Phil Van Allen was the main guy in charge, and it was a lot of fun to deal with. But I got sent to Newport Ritchie to help fix some problems they had within their misdemeanor division there. Literally, I had only been with the office about a year, and I was now being placed in charge of the misdemeanor division of Newport Ritchie, which was two judges. We had Judge Rasmussen and Judge Tepper. And Judge Rasmussen, to be nice, could be one of the most ornery people on the planet. Uh, My first day in front of him, I walked in and he said, oh, my God, they've sent me another newbie. And I looked up and I said, excuse me, what what is this about? And he goes, well, they always send me the new ones. And I said, I've been around a little while. Let's just get this done today. He actually appreciated somebody standing up to him. Now, you couldn't stand up too hard to him because the guy was about six foot five and 350 pounds and looked like a mountain back there behind the bench and at his desk. But literally, when I got there, their conviction rate at trial was somewhere around 65%, which, quite frankly, is awful. I mean, it's bad. And within three months, we had elevated the trial conviction rate to 95%. And I'm sitting there riding high thinking, okay, we're doing our jobs. We're doing what we're supposed to do. And everybody was happy. I got called in um, into the overall Pasco Division Director's Office and was told I could no longer try misdemeanor cases unless it was a high-profile case because the conviction rate was too high. Now, folks... A lot of people may say, well, how's that humorous? I thought it was not only funny, but stupid. But that was the politics of the office because our conviction rate had passed the conviction rate of the home office. 
and they didn't want St. Pete Times writing an article of how some satellite office within their division all of a sudden was doing better than the home office was. And the way to cure that was I was told to stand down, and I could still run the dockets, but I could not try as many cases. So they ended up having me running misdemeanors and trying a full felony caseload at the same time. If anybody doesn't find that to be humorous, it's almost as stupid as some of the things you hear within our military branches of how they run things. It's just that that catch-22, for lack of a better word. I was doing the job, but they didn't like how I was doing the job because I was doing it better than the home office was doing. And it frustrated them. And so I was told to shut up, sit down, and do what I had to do. So I did. I mean, that's I got paid to do what I was doing. Um, getting into this further, I, I tried, one of my last ones I tried that I got a conviction on um, that was helping towards that conviction rate, I had to try it because the lady refused to take a reduced charge on a DUI case where she should have gotten a reduced charge. The law enforcement did such a bad job with it, it was bad. She was arrested at noon. She had been picking up beer cans in the off the highway to help take care of her kids, thus the, the answer for why she had an odor of alcohol on her. She did very poorly on the field test, but they gave them to her on the middle of U.S. 19 at noon. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have ever driven up U.S. 19 from Clearwater up through Newport Ritchie. Even back then, it was a four-lane highway that was extraordinarily busy. It's worse now. It's probably six or eight lanes, but it was four lanes with a lot of cars on it. They had plenty of sidewalks and parking lots that she could have went and taken the tests on, Instead, they had her do it in the middle of the median. Uh, on top of that, it was. It, it turns out she had had a bunch of bones in her body broken when she had been a child because of an abusive father. I mean, this lady was one big pity party after another going on during the trial. Somehow, I convinced the jury to convict her of a DUI. Uh, and that we had no breath test. And there was not a refusal to take the breath test. The cops just chose to not give her a breath test because they had screwed up and given her food while they were waiting to give her the breath test. So they, rather than waiting the 20 minutes that they should have waited, they just decided, nah, we're just not going to give her one. Well, you can't then use that against her in a trial. And in fact, if anything, it helps her to argue that if they had given her a breath test, she probably would have passed it. Somehow we still got the conviction on it. And after the trials, I always asked for jail time, and a lot of people go, well, why did you do that? That was a way of discouraging people to go to trial. And and a lot of people go, well, that's unethical. No, back then it was okay, and it quite frankly is still done today. Anybody tells you it's not done today is not telling you the truth. We have a lot more of an ethical obligation not to look at things that way now, but I always sought jail time after a conviction. So I, this was in front of Judge Tepper. This was before I really understood that she was a fairly big women's rights advocate. She had been on a gender bias study commission through the Florida Supreme Court. So I get up and I start arguing for jail. Judge Tepper looks at me, kind of glaring at me, and she finally looks and says, Tony, sit down and shut up. You're lucky you got the conviction today. And she then proceeded to give the woman the lightest possible sentence under the law that she could do. 
I kind of understood at that point there are some lines I needed not to traverse. And in such a circumstance like that, maybe I should have just said, Judge, give her the minimum sentence. We're all good today. But I was frustrated that I had to do a jury trial that we had actually made her a much better offer than what she ultimately got by going to trial. Uh, If she had taken the offer that I had made, she would not have had a DUI conviction out of it. She would not have even had a conviction at all because we were, quite frankly, recommending what's called a withholding of adjudication with some fines and court costs. She refused to do that. And I understand that she felt like the case was good enough that she should take her chances. She took her chances and she lost. And so, but the this, the humorous part of that was I actually got put in my place by the judge at the time, and I learned real quickly how to be very careful with that judge and what I asked for, because at times she would get a little irritated and probably go further the other direction, because I might have stepped over some lines with her as to what I was requesting. Again, it's knowing your judges, knowing your circumstances, um, and you just got to be able to be smart about what you do and trying to present the case in the best possible fashion. A lot of these stories, and these are all cases from my prosecution days, folks, I'm just kind of going through them with you because they, they weren't funny necessarily at the time, but I kind of laughed about it later when I started reflecting on them. And they are real stories. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM, and I've got a few more for you after the break. Welcome back to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. We've been talking about humorous courtroom stories, and I've really focused on my early prosecution days. Uh, Some later show, I'll go into some of the funnier stuff from the defense end of it, because there really is enough stuff out there. I could, I think I could probably write a book, maybe a couple at this point, uh, of some of the different cases I've handled or stories. I've just got to be careful how I deal with that. From the prosecution end of it, it's a lot easier to go into some details than it is from the defense because of client confidentiality issues on a defense case. Um, but as I was talking about before, up in Pasco is where I had some of the most humorous stuff go on. And one of them was my first felony jury trial. And everybody goes, okay, what's the big deal? Well, your first felony jury trial is something that you try to remember. Um, And those felonies are the serious ones where you're up in circuit court and the guy's facing real jail time, which is real prison time. Um, County court, the most they can ever get is about a year in the county jail. But in circuit court, you could be talking five years, ten years, life. I mean, there's different sentences based on the types of felonies. Well, the first felony case I had was a guy that that had lit his own jail cell at the county jail on fire. So he was charged with first-degree arson. Now, we have sentencing guidelines. So if I tell you that a guy was facing a charge that had a, a punishment of up to 30 years in prison, well, that's true. However, our sentencing guidelines back then, unlike today, had caps on what you could do. There was a range that the guy could be sentenced to. And with his record, based on the type of charge, the maximum he could face was five years in Florida State Prison. This guy, though, had enough mental health history issues, we had had to send him off to Chattahoochee, which was the state mental hospital, 
so that they could stabilize him enough to say he was competent to stand trial. Well, being the young, aggressive prosecutor that I was, I figured if I pushed just the right buttons, he might act up in the courtroom. And a lot of people go, well, that's that's unethical. No, that that back then was perceived as doing my job. And the reason was that way I could demonstrate to the jury that this was the type of person that would, in fact, light their own jail cell on fire. It went directly to the crime itself. So during my closing argument, I was able to make enough points that this particular gentleman became agitated and decided to come over the defense table at me. Now, I'm in closing arguments. I'm not standing near him, obviously. But he decided he was going to take it upon himself to beat me up, so to speak, in the courtroom. He was frustrated, aggravated, and didn't like how things were going. Fortunately, his attorney caught him going at it and caught him by the collar. It would be a 15-yard penalty in the NFL today called horse collaring. He literally caught him by the collar and stuck him back in the chair. And the bailiffs immediately came over and stood by the gentleman while I concluded my closing argument. Needless to say, the jury was not out very long and convicted him of the arson charge, and he was sentenced to state prison. The bad part about some of this is, though, I think he ended up getting a five-year state prison sentence, but he had been at Chattahoochee so long just to get him to a point where he was competent to stand trial. With all the credit that he had, he wasn't going to be in the state prison system very long, and there was no way to really do anything more with him after that in the form of probation or anything else to try to oversee him. So as a result, I don't know whatever happened to him again. I never saw him again after that. I still remember his name, believe it or not, folks. I'm not going to give it out over the radio because I'm hoping the guy turned his life around somehow. But the long and the short of it is is that that was weird in your first felony trial to have a defendant that got so fired up he was coming across the defense table um, in order to come after me. Uh, Another jury trial, and this one is a little bit more problematic about how I have to describe things on this, Uh, me and an assistant public defender were trying a case in front of Judge Tepper again, the the ultra-feminist judge that I learned how to deal with her fairly well. We had a very attractive court reporter And the style of dress back then included long skirts that had the very long split up the front of the skirts. Well, when people are walking with them, it's no big deal. This particular court reporter, though, when she would position herself in the courtroom, tended to wrap her legs around the stenography machine. And when somebody says stenography machine, that's the machine they type into for the shorthand that we will later be able to have a transcript for trial. This particular assistant public defender is now a circuit court judge over in Hillsborough County, and he and I are semi-friends. We don't go out and hang out, but we've known each other forever. We always talk when I'm in the courtroom. We were both very young at the time. Uh, I literally was either 25 or 26 years of age. He would have been about the same age. As soon as she sat down and did what she did, it was going to cause both of us concentration problems for the rest of the trial. And so immediately I stood up and I said, Judge, I hate to ask, but I need a brief recess. We've got something that we need to deal with. Judge Tepper, in her infinite ability to be frustrated, looked at me and goes, why? We just started. What do you need to do? And I said, 
you really don't need to know, Judge. I just need to deal with something. And I think the assistant public defender will agree with me that we need to address this issue outside of the court's earshot. And this particular public defender stood up and said, Judge, I agree with Mr. Dodds completely. And she said, okay, but make it brief, as she stormed off the bench for five minutes. Kenny was her bailiff, and Kenny was a riot. Um, There's some backstories with Kenny, but he would usually try to signal to me what the verdict was before the verdict was read by the way he would position his thumbs on the back of the plea or the verdict form. He got that messed up on one of the cases, but other than that, he was pretty good about telling me in advance so I would know how to deal with the sentencing if it was going to be a case in which sentencing was involved. But getting back to the story, myself and the assistant public defender then went over to this court reporter and as tactfully as we could ask her to change the direction she was seating or, or sitting in the courtrooms. And, and she looked down and she goes, oh, my God, I am so sorry. She didn't even think of it when she sat down because she was so used to wearing that particular outfit, and it just is not something that she had thought about before when she positioned herself in the courtroom. She was so embarrassed by it, and I said, don't be embarrassed. We just, we needed you to move, and she did. Now, that's something you could easily see on some comedy show, such as Night Court, with having to ask a court reporter to reposition themselves because of the way that they were positioned towards the male prosecutor, if everybody remembers him, and his name completely slips my mind, and Harry, the judge of that courtroom, would have laughingly agreed and helped to to make things right. But those were the kind of things that they're very real-life stories that we had to deal with. Now today, probably wouldn't bother me at all. I'm 58 years old. I really couldn't care less. But back then, it was hard on a 26-year-old to try to concentrate on a case when they're trying to put it on in a courtroom. Um, the next one that is kind of funny, and it's one that stuck in my head all these years, and I am going to mention this guy's name because part of the reason it's stuck in my head, it's a Peanuts character, Charlie Brown. And I love to tell people that at one point in my life, I was able to convict Charlie Brown of aggravated assault with a weapon. Um, he had threatened my alleged victim in my case with a knife and the victim then proceeded to beat the living crap out of him um, with a bat. But that doesn't mean that he didn't get charged because he had, he admittedly had told police, yeah, I came at him with a knife. Well, then once you do that, it's the other guy's ability to use self-defense. So we didn't charge the victim of that case. We charged Mr. Brown. Well, during the trial, I was able to get it out from Mr. Brown when he was on the witness stand that he was a used car salesman. And I I don't know why the public defender didn't object to that point, because it probably wasn't relevant to the case at that, but I got it out one way or the other. In the closing arguments, I addressed the jury and said that Mr. Brown had just tried to sell them the biggest, quote, lemon, end quote, of his life. Now, as bad as we like to joke about used car salesmen now, it was worse in 1988. Used car salesmen had horrible reputations back then. And the jury was just like, yep, you're right. They were only out like three and a half minutes and convicted Mr. Brown of his aggravated assault with a weapon. So in hindsight now, I can say I have convicted Charlie Brown of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon 
And at the time, that was the quickest guilty verdict uh, attained by a prosecutor in Pasco County history. Now, a few months after I left the office, a good friend of mine by the name of Mike Merberg, um, he was able to beat me by doing a three-minute and 15-second guilty verdict. But when I left, I had the record for a quickest guilty verdict in Pasco County history. Uh, Mr. Brown ended up ultimately receiving a short prison sentence, and no, there were absolutely no Lucys on the jury that I can recall. If I had remembered that part, I would have certainly written that one down. But we did have a Charlie Brown, and it was entertaining at least to say that he got convicted. It has been a pleasure talking to you today. I'm going to, like I said, sometime later this year, maybe a few months from now, I'll address some of the humorous stories from the defense end of it. There are even probably a dozen to two dozen more because of the length of time I've been doing this. Um, but the idea is to tell you that there are things that stand out. It's not all cut and dried, and it's not things like you see in Law & Order. The real life is much more like real life. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM, and I look forward to talking to you more next week.